Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain unlimited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here, Move the Sticks. And, uh, Buck, we got a fun episode coming up today with another great guest. A uh, great guest, man. We're, we're pleased and honored to have on uh, Brian Kelly, head coach of University of Notre Dame. He's going to come on and share a little bit about team building and some of the players that he has coached. Uh, that should be terrific. And then, you know, we're going to have a fun discussion because I want to talk about this Urban Meyer Dallas Cowboys thing. I think it's fascinating because we've talked about Urban Meyer privately being a great coach, but to hear him talk about an NFL job, it'd be interesting to talk about that. Then this week we're talking about the college football players to watch this weekend. I mean, look, a lot of stuff to get into, man. Let's get right to it. All right, let's jump right in here and uh, start off a couple couple news items here. Um, the Josh Gordon being placed on IR, it's just kind of a weird a weird ending to his time there with the Patriots. But they got they got some production out of him uh, for what they gave up, and and now they've decided to move on. It looks like. And then the other one was Emmanuel Sanders uh, going to San Francisco. I like that trade, man. It's a uh, it's so it's Emmanuel Sanders in a fifth in exchange for a third and a fourth. I, I like that uh, that move for San Francisco. I think Emmanuel Sanders can still play. 
Emmanuel Sanders can, can still play. And the thing about Emmanuel Sanders, he will age gracefully at the position because he's a route runner. He's never been a guy that necessarily leaned on his speed, his explosiveness to get open. He is a craftsman. He is a skilled route runner who understands all the tricks of the trade, and he does a great job of creating separation. In Kyle Shanahan's system, this is a perfect fit because Emmanuel Sanders can be a number one in their offense. This is a team that has tried to get by with Marquise Goodwin being the number one. They've uh, periodically used Dante Pettis. Debo Samuel got some run, but then he's got hurt. They need a consistent presence on the outside that Jimmy Garoppolo can lean on as the primary target. Emmanuel Sanders should be able to fill that void. And I can't wait to see how Kyle Shanahan scripts and diagrams some of these home run shots to get Emmanuel Sanders not only his normal receptions, but look for Emmanuel Sanders to be a big, a big play threat in this offense because Kyle Shanahan does a great job of creating home run opportunities for his primary targets. Yeah, I think he fits perfectly. You know, they're going to run play action, those over routes. He knows how to, to stem those up and create a little bit of separation. Um, he's going to be a productive player for them. And the other thing is they've had some drops. Uh, he just got, he's got outstanding hands, so you can rely on him. I think he'll be a, a, a nice fit for them there in San Francisco. All right, this was a, a topic that I thought of, but because I was just watching the World Series, which has not gone well for the Houston Astros. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at their team and their makeup, it always stands out to me when you see outliers uh, in any sport because that's that's what's hard to account for. And uh, we've seen it uh, in every single sport. And with the Astros, it's it's Jose Altuve, who's what? I think he's 5'6". He um, just looks so little out there. And it got me thinking, like, who are some of the best short players? Not talking about small because you can be a little undersized but thick and strong, but just some of the best short players that you've ever scouted. And uh, see if you had any names there because i got a couple interesting ones. Well, i got one for you guys still playing in the league, even though we thought he was going to retire. Darren Sproles, to me, was one of the best short, uh, undersized players that I've ever scouted. When I went to Kansas State to watch him play, I mean, you talk about a guy who, I mean, he dominated the college game. He was an unbelievable force. They, they leaned on him like the workhorse back. He delivered, but he also gave you that extra punch in the return game. And for him to play as long as he's been able to play in the National Football League, first as a returner, uh, where he's been a Pro Bowl player at that, but then as a third-down specialist, a change of pace back, and a guy who has kind of filled the void at times as a lead back, I mean, Darren Sproles has to go down as one of the best short players to ever play in the National Football League. No, there there is a long list here. Um, you can look at our our colleague Maurice Jones Drew, yeah. um, who you know look he had an unbelievable career um, and was so powerful and so explosive. Um, Maurice will tell you he's five ten. He's really five seven. Uh, <laughs> might even been was he, was he low five sevens? I mean, I got to go back yeah, and look at my I mean, report very on generous. That. It depends on if he has his cleats on or off. Yeah. But it was a phenomenal player. Um, but I want to go. Let's go to the to the defensive side of the ball and special teams. I'm going to give you three names. Um, do you remember Elvis Doomerville when he was coming out? Oh, who yes. Had all types of production well, coming out of college, 10. but I think he, yeah, five ten, five eleven, um, and so it was like ah, I don't know if this guy can play, but he had I want to see a thirty four inch arms, so just really really long, and that helped make up for it, and was an outstanding player, especially the early portion of his career, one of the more productive pass rushers uh, in the NFL. And then I'm going to go back to my alma mater in, in App State because they talked about this guy 24-7, Buck. Uh, remember Dexter Coakley? Yeah, Dexter linebacker. Coakley, linebacker, played uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. 
Yep, and was uh, undersized but could fly. He was one of, to me, he was one of the first uh, new wave linebackers where you sacrifice the size for a guy that could fly. I mean, I think he was a 4-4 guy. He could absolutely fly. Um, and now you see the league is full of guys like, like Dexter Coakley, but at that time it was a rarity. You know, it's funny. You talk about an undersized guy like Dexter Coakley. I will highlight one of my teammates at cornerback, Mark McMillan, Mighty Mouse. We played together in Kansas City. He earned Pro Bowl honors. Yeah. I want to say he had nine or ten interceptions that year. And, look, man, you talk about a guy, 5'7", five, 5'8", five, maybe, playing on the corner in a big man's game, being able to thrive. Um, I think the thing that is interesting as we kind of bring it forward with Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson and some of the smaller guys that are playing and having success. I do wonder now in meeting rooms around the NFL, how much are people kind of backing off of those old standards and norms that we used to have at the positions? Because when I was working with the Seattle Seahawks, we had a standard uh, line of demarcation when it came to height for every position at corner. We wouldn't take a corner that was shorter than five, ten and a half. Um, we just felt like we needed to have big corners to play against guys in that division, and we just would not relent off of that. There could be good players who were 5'8", five, 5'9", five, and we would give them a great grade, but we say they are somebody else's player. They're not necessarily for us. Yeah, and I look, we mentioned a colleague of ours, Maurice Jones-Drew. Let's not forget about Steve Smith, you know, and you, you know Steve yeah. as well as anybody. I mean, Steve one of the most dominant players uh, during his era was, uh, you know, look, I think he caught over a thousand balls, uh, you know, 14,000 yards, 81 touchdowns and a long, long career. And he was five, nine, but he played a heck of a lot bigger than five, nine. Yeah, he did play a heck of a lot bigger than, than five, nine. And I think uh, what I learned from watching Steve is, okay, like there's one thing about the measurements in terms of the height, but some, some of that can be made up for in terms of your vertical jump, your explosiveness, your ability to be able to play above the rim. And he could do that. And so he was one of the rare undersized, shorter receivers that was a, a triple crown winner, meaning he led the league in receptions, yards, and touchdowns, receiving touchdowns at one point. And his level of dominance um, where he became a true number one receiver after starting his career as a punt returner is something that you traditionally don't see. But look, Steve Smith is a special player. It's one of the reasons why he is probably going to don a gold jacket when it's all said and done. Yeah, and then uh, if you look at returners, you know, you can find a bunch of returners, um, and they're all a lot of undersized guys. You think about Dante Hall, um, Dave Meggett, um, yes. what his, his role was as a kind of undersized guy. Um, I don't think Metcalf was very tall. You would probably know that no, I don't think better so. than I would going back. Yeah, I don't, and, I don't and, think uh, he was who, very who tall. Who am I missing? Who's, who's, who is the, the – the, uh, he played for everybody in the NFC East, played for a million years, one of the best kickoff returners of all time. Talking about Vasekahima? Um, was sh- – no, not Vysik Hema. This was, I mean, literally yardage-wise, he's way up there. You'd have to, uh, not Dave Maggot. It's, uh, gosh, why am I blanking on his name? All I know uh, is he under- played for the Giants. He played for the Reds. Well, yeah, Brian Mitchell. Thank you. Mark came through in my ear with that one. Brian Mitchell. Brian Mitchell wasn't a tall guy, right? He had to be a little guy. Uh, I can't, I mean. He looked like he was sawed he off. Looked, yeah, he looked like he sawed off a little, sawed off feisty. Uh, he's still feisty now as an announcer. Still feisty and talking. They listen at five eleven. He was listed at five eleven. Gosh, he looks smaller than that, but he was a great returner. Excellent returner. Excellent um, returner. Yeah. Any, and I was trying to think of uh, 
another one. Who, who did I have? Oh, uh, you know who's who's going to be a head coach in college or the NFL soon is going to be Jim Leonard. Uh, somebody I was around mm-hmm. there with the Baltimore Ravens, undersized player in the secondary who just flew around, smack people, and is an outstanding defensive coordinator right now for uh, the University of Wisconsin. Uh, anyways, we, we, Buck, we have uh, we have this. This is a real thing, by the way. National Tight End Day. It's a legit thing. This Sunday is National Tight End Day. I guess they're going to mic up a bunch of tight ends uh, that are playing, and so we're trying to look for a good tight end matchup um, to watch this weekend. And we got George Kittle and Greg Olson. Mm. Uh, Kittle's twenty six. Greg Olson is thirty four. Um, uh, just interested to see just how you would compare those two guys real quick. Man, this is a spicy one because uh, George Kittle is new school. Greg Olson is now old school, even though he would have been considered a new school tight end when he came out. Uh, the thing that's interesting about George Kittle is I don't know if we ever could have expected George Kittle to have this kind of impact in the National Football League based on what he showed at Iowa. At Iowa, he was a fine player, but he wasn't a high-level player. He wasn't anybody that kind of struck you as someone that could be a dominant player in the league. But what I will say is George Kittle has shown that um, with some athleticism, with strength and toughness, you can be a dominant player in this league because the best thing that George Kittle does is he is explosive with the ball in his hands. If you go and you look at his numbers of his 1,200 yards last year, I want to say 700-plus were yards after the catch. So his ability to get the ball in space, break tackles, make people miss, run through contact, separates them from some guys. And so this is a position that you normally don't see, I would say, those great open field runners. George Kittle is an outstanding open field runner. And so his game is drastically different from Greg Olson because Greg Olson came in the league as a 4-4 guy, a speed guy, a guy that could stretch the field originally in Chicago, but he really kind of settled into being a really good player in Carolina. He continues to be a guy that is dominant as a vertical playmaker. But, man, you talk about two different styles, but the effectiveness is just the same. Yeah, and to me, I think about what they have in common and the two things I would say they have in common, big catch radius, uh, both guys big, uh, just long athletic guys. You can you can uh, stretch them out a little bit, and they have the ability to make an acrobatic play. And then I would I, I would add spatial awareness, which is so huge in the tight end position because if you run four four and you're running into people, it does you no good. Both these guys have a good feel for working in space. Um, and if, if, look, Greg Olson been doing it for a long time, uh, and you're seeing George Kittle, and and you did hit it on a good point there, Buck. That's why at the tight end position, if you're not featured, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Where production matters in a lot of different positions when you're scouting, the tight end position has been proven not as much. You can find a bunch of these guys didn't play much college football at all. Um, there's a long list of those and guys that had very limited production. You're really drafting an athlete at that position. So the testing numbers, to me, matter a little bit more there and then just their overall feel. And a lot of that comes back to having an overall athletic background uh, when you're looking at basketball and different things like that. But that is a it is a dev- developmental position maybe more so than any other in the NFL right now yeah I think that is the one position where you can take I don't say take anybody and put them there but you can take guys who haven't had a lot of football experience and put them in that position and with a good tight end coach um, and a, a patient approach 
you definitely can reap huge rewards and benefits. Uh, George Kittle was not a guy that was expected to come in and be a Pro Bowl caliber tight end based on where he was drafted and based on what he showed at Iowa. But the developmental program that the 49ers put in place and then being featured in an offense that creates opportunities for him really to display his skills is something. Greg Olson, on the other hand, was a first-round pick because the athleticism that he displayed at the University of Miami made it where you had to take him in the first round and you weren't going to get him. You just don't see guys run 4-4 at that position, being able to stretch the seam and get down the field and make these vertical plays. And yes, the position still demands that you can block some, but we're seeing more teams say, look, the tight end is really a glorified wide receiver. We're going to take a big body that's athletic, put him in there, and if he can block a little bit, it's enough, but we really want him to dominate the middle of the field. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's very true. It's it's interesting discussion there just when you look at the tight end position and how it's it's grown and evolved. you got to put an athlete in there, uh, be ready to roll. All right, somebody that's coached a bunch of athletes and coached some of the best offensive linemen in the NFL is Notre Dame's Brian Kelly. And we've had a chance recently to catch up with a bunch of coaches, recently talking with Dabo Sweeney. We've talked to uh, Coach Matt Rule. We've had Scott Satterfield. We've had your coach, uh, Mac Brown. We've had uh, my coach at App State, Eli Drinkwitz. So a bunch of these coaches, and we feel like we've learned something each and every time uh, and really look forward to this conversation with Notre Dame's Brian Kelly uh, to catch up with him and learn more about that culture, how they've built this thing at Notre Dame, uh, a team that's having a phenomenal season. So here's our chat with Notre Dame's head football coach, Brian Kelly. Well, Coach, thanks so much for, for taking some time with us today. It, it's always great to catch up and visit with you. Uh, we're going to get to Notre Dame here in just a minute, but I want to go in the time machine a little bit and go back to your time and your start there at Grand Valley and, and all the success yeah. that you had there. Is, or is that really the base and the foundation for the same things you're doing at Notre Dame? Well, certainly that that's where I began my career. And I think, you know, as a, a young head coach, you learn and you make mistakes and, and that helps build the foundation for a lot of the things that, that I'm doing today. Look, you know, Daniel, I, I mean, I learned how to do the laundry there. And, and when you have to do all the jobs um, from – uh, getting the buses uh, to making sure the laundry's done, literally, um, you have a sense for how to develop and build a program because you know all the other jobs. And that, that serves you well when you come to a place like Notre Dame. Coach, it's funny because I'm a first-time head coach this year, and I'm doing laundry, and I'm doing all those things <laughs> or whatever. So because you've been able to turn around a couple different programs, um, what is the secret sauce to being able to take a program that may be down when you inherit it and get it up and rolling when it becomes to get it to a, a competitive level? Well, I think first you have to start with what your mission is. I mean, clearly define to everybody that's in that room. And I don't mean just the players. I mean, the guy that is sweeping out the room after. I mean, everybody that's in that building, everybody that touches the program clearly define what the mission is. And I think once you lay down that mission, uh, it then becomes uh, painting the vision for that. And so uh, everywhere that I've been, it's been a clear mission, vision. And then for me, uh, communicating that on a day-to-day -day basis and at times over communicating it, uh, making sure that there is no um, uh, you know, miscommunication as to why we're here. So <laughs> Um, I think once you kind of, you know, narrow down what it is that you're after, uh, communicating that mission and vision 
it starts there and then it's a day-to-day process um, every single day after that. Coach, I was watching just the TV copy of the other day, your game against USC, and it, it might have been halftime or before the game, um, but I heard you talking about, hey, let's make sure we keep our poise. In a game that you rely on so much passion and energy, and, and those are good things, you want to bring that. How do you balance the passion and energy, but also maintaining your poise? You're, you're in a hostile environment like Georgia, like you were earlier this year, uh, to be able to combine those two things. Well, you want passion, right? You want, but but there needs to be, uh, and we talk about this all the time. There needs to be uh, finding your emotional zone, and you can't do that uh, in the middle of battle. You know, if you go to battle and you're trying to find your emotional zone in battle, uh, you, you're in trouble. So it's something that we work on. Our mental performance uh, has to be judged during the week, and how we get into that zone um, is something that our guys have to find. It's different for each guy, but. They have to know where that zone is prior to because, you know, passion can lead into being something worse than, um, you know, uh, an emotional uh, high or a low. And, and we can't have that. So working on that during the week to answer your question is really important so we don't get outside that zone uh, and, and do things that are out of character uh, as a football team. You know, Coach, you, you're coaching currently at a very, very special place in Notre Dame where the standard is, is extremely high. Um, as a coach, what is it like to embrace the challenge of taking on a program where the standard is so high, where national championships are expected? Um, some guys choose to run from that. How do you choose to run towards that? Well, you know, you have to have a why. You know, why are we doing this at Notre Dame? And so if you're going to take the job at Notre Dame and you don't know your why, uh, you've made a mistake in, in taking the job in the first place. Our why is very simple. Uh, it's to graduate champions. And so uh, our job every single day is to build the traits necessary for our players uh, to graduate and play for championships here at Notre Dame. And so, you know, those traits are attention to detail. Um, it's, it's having a great attitude. It's, it's having laser focus, being gritty. Um, so, um, those standards, um, are, are our why, and that's, that's why you would coach here at Notre Dame. And if, if you don't have that, um, you know, you're at the wrong place. Coach, I'm glad you used that word focus because we've talked to a bunch of coaches recently and um, it seems like, you know, the last couple of years, the word grit has kind of been that buzzword that you hear over and over again. And now we, we keep hearing the word focus and with all the challenges and all the distractions today, um, coaches handle that differently. And, you know, th there's a coach in the NFL right now that, that got a lot of attention before the season started because he mentioned he was going to be giving players breaks, you know, during meetings ever so often to be able to check their phones and, and kind of saying that's just the way the world works right now uh, but I want you to listen to this real quick because we talked to uh, to Matt Rule down at Baylor and the discussion and the topic of focus came up and he had a little different feel on it so I want to let you listen to that and get your reaction great yeah I think focus is a great word and, and I think you have to find guys that come from pro programs that require them to focus you know um, like there's this mindset out there that you know um, kids can only go 20 minutes and then they need to check their phone or you know they you know they don't write things down like that like, I, I can promise you the government's not meeting for 20 minutes and then everyone goes and checks their phone when they're trying to decide what to do with Iran or Iraq or something, right? Like, like we, we've just made it. We've just made we've just made excuses for kids because kids can do a lot of things. Coach, yeah, just I your mean, thoughts on that. But it's a different mindset there. Yeah. Well, look, you know, we're our young men have to sit in arguably 
one of the most um, challenging and competitive academic environments in the classroom here at Notre Dame for an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, and they don't have a chance to get up and leave and uh, do anything else but stay locked in. So um, we're, we're pretty programmed in the fact that um, you know, you have to stay locked in and stay focused. And if you don't, um, you better find ways to refocus. And that's okay. That's okay. I mean, you know, as long as you understand how to refocus, and it's like a play is six seconds long, right? So we talk about our guys, mm -hmm. you know, if there's a bad play in there, just refocus. And having the skill and having the ability to focus and refocus is fine. It doesn't have to be that, that you are so laser focused for an hour and 15 minutes, there are going to be times where we all do it, that, that we have to really lock in it at periods of time. And so I think understanding it, being aware of it is so much more important, but giving them a pass that they need a 20 minute break or uh, excuse me, a break after tw uh, 20 minutes. Um, I don't think that's fair to them, to be quite honest with you, because I think that they can refocus during that time and get the information they need. Coach, that's, those are terrific points. Um, and it brings me a little bit to coaching and how the coaching profession has changed. Uh, in yesteryear, when Daniel and I, and even when you first started coaching, there was a term yep. called hard coaching, where you could coach guys hard. Well, now it seems like hard coaching is frowned upon. Could you kind of define how you can be tough on your players while still having that respectful relationship that they know that you're coaching to get the best out of them as opposed to demeaning them? Well, I think that's the whole point, right? You can be demanding. I don't think you can ever be demand, uh, demeaning. I think that's the line right there, Bucky, is once you become demeaning, you can't coach anybody hard because you don't have a relationship with anybody and one that's not worthy of you even having the ability to coach somebody. So I'm all for demanding as long as it's never demeaning. And that means it gets personal uh, and that you're you're attacking the person itself. What you're really working at at demanding is setting a standard for which what is acceptable in the way that we go to work every day. So we're very demanding because we have standards um, because we're here for, for our players, and, and that is to win a championship. And to win a championship, it's kind of what I talked about earlier. Um, you've got to have a great attitude when you come to work. Uh, you've got to have great focus. You've got to have, obviously, an attention to detail. So if a guy comes to practice and he doesn't have a great attention to detail, we can be demanding about those things. We can be demanding if he doesn't have grit and he wants to check out after you know three or four tough periods of practice. Um, but the demeaning part, um, that has no place in any teaching environment, and it certainly has no uh, place for, for uh, what I believe to be uh, really good coaching. Coach, one of the, uh, the questions that Ozzie Newsom would ask every single player that came to the Combine uh, when I was with the Ravens, he would ask him uh, for an example of some adversity that they'd been through in their life and how they've come out the other side. And I want to ask you about one particular player that you had a chance to coach there in Jalen Smith. Um, was at that game at the Fiesta Bowl with that horrific knee injury and to see how he's come back from that and what he's become uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. Were there, were there hints, were there, were there uh, uh, evidence early on in his career at Notre Dame that you knew this kid was, was pretty special? Oh, in the recruiting process, uh, I knew he was special in that, um, you know, he had every opportunity to go somewhere else. And he chose to come to Notre Dame because he wanted to challenge himself in so many areas outside of the classroom. He wanted to challenge himself in an environment that was 
uncomfortable in so many ways to him. Um, uncomfortable in the sense that, it, you know, he was um, somebody that wasn't a great communicator and he wanted to build uh, himself up to be a better communicator. He wanted to be able to be somebody that could could build a network that uh, when he left college that he was going to be able to tap into a a large network. So he did a lot of things in in choosing to come to Notre Dame that I would have never thought of uh, at that age that were remarkable and that we knew that it was going to pay off for him after football. So when he decided that he was going to play in the game and had um, you know the resolve to say, look, I, I did this because I'm playing with my brothers and I would do it again because that's why I play this game. It's not it's not an individual sport. It's a team sport. And uh, I could never not play with the, my teammates. Uh, it said all about his character. Uh, and that's why um, you, you you cheer for guys like this when, when you see them have success. You know, Coach, Jalen Smith is one of many guys. And one thing that Notre Dame has kind of developed a reputation for is developing offensive linemen. Everyone who's around football understands that the game is won in the trenches. What is it about Notre Dame and the developmental process that has allowed you guys to produce so many NFL-caliber players? Well, there, there's a number of you know, traits that, that I've looked for. Um, you know, you take McGlinchey and Ronnie Stanley. Both those guys were basketball players. Um, you know, first of all, they've got to fit a profile, um, certainly long, athletic, um, you know, meet a profile. They've got to be obviously um, uh, very smart to, to be here. So so they've got a high IQ from that perspective. Um, but but we like guys that have athleticism at the position and, and maybe are not ready to play, if you will. Uh, these guys are going to develop uh, in time. Um through the weight room, through through the development process, um, and and I think that that has has proved to be a very good recipe for success. Um, on film, we like finishers, guys that finish plays, that finish blocks, um, and and have a little edge to them when they finish it. Um, we like a, a motor at the offensive line, and as I mentioned, McGlinchey and Stanley, just to sit, you know name a few, but but going back, you know. You know, I moved, uh, you know, Jason Kelsey from defensive tackle to center because we love this, his quickness and agility. And, you know, at the center position to have that kind of quickness and agility served him well. You know, Joe Staley, you know, was a tight end for me at Central Michigan and, and you know, obviously a long athletic guy. So you can see the, the prevailing theme here in terms of athleticism, quickness, smarts. Uh, and then we developed them all, you know, physically over a period of time. These guys weren't ready made. Um, it, it took some time for them to develop. Coach, I want to touch, but you mentioned a name there. Uh, I was in Philadelphia. We drafted Kelsey. But I'd love to know, having coached both Kelsey brothers, and we've got a chance to see not only their play on the field, but their personalities off the field. <laughs> I have to believe you have may, maybe one uh, PG Kelsey uh, brother story that you could share with us. Oh, man. Um, well, <laughs> I was just with Travis uh, this weekend. You know, we uh, our 2009 team got inducted into the Hall of Fame, our Cincinnati team. So I was with Travis this weekend. So I'm not going to divulge our, our, our few minutes there. But uh, Jason, we were, we were practicing and we didn't have a we, we didn't have a practice facility at Cincinnati. We practiced in the stadium and uh, he was struggling. 
uh, in a practice. And um, he took his helmet off and threw it 15 rows up into the stands. And, uh, and, and Coach, Coach Quinn, our offensive line coach, went up to uh, Kelsey and said, uh, you know, Coach is going to make it still practice. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, you still have to practice. He goes, okay, I'm ready. He thought I meant practice without the helmet. Uh, so he, 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 he went right back in the huddle without a helmet and uh, proceeded to, to, to go right back out. So uh, that's that's a Kelsey story. Uh, they're tough. That's they're beautiful. animated. They love to play football, and uh, I'd love to have both of them on my team any day. Hey, Coach, that's an awesome oh, story. So and you've seen a, a lot of great players, not only at Cincinnati and Central Michigan and Notre Dame. The thing We've asked a, a bunch of coaches this, and it doesn't have to be a player that you have personally coached. It could be someone that you've seen. But who is the best high school player that you've ever watched on tape? Ooh. Hmm. Gosh, there's been so many. Uh, you know, I'm so enamored with quarterbacks, right? Because they usually keep you in this business long, longer. Um, I remember watching Chase Daniels out of South Lake Carroll High School. He was phenomenal in high school. I mean, he just, it looks so, it looks so effortless uh, with him throwing the football around and um, he made the game look easy. But I, I would say him and, and probably, um, Teddy Ginn Jr. Uh, it, it was like there was nobody that could touch Teddy Ginn Jr. Uh, on the football field. Those guys really stood out to me on film. Yeah, Ted Ginn, coach. We've had we've had Ted Ginn. Uh, I think Mel Tucker might even have mentioned. You Ted talked Ginn, about him, but we've had some really? answers to this. Oh yeah, we've had some. Oh, you know, Sammy Watkins got a bunch of love. Uh, oh yeah, and then we had we've had Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson, oh, yeah. uh, LeBron James got some love for watching him. Who else do we have, Buck? Adrian Peterson. Uh, Frank Gore. Yeah, Adrian Peterson. Oh, Frank, yeah. Gore. Yeah. Frank Gore was a name that has come up repeatedly. I'll uh, tell you, another freak was Doriel Green Beckham. Oh, yeah. Missouri. Oh, yeah. Oh, DGB. The big, the big wide receiver. He just would – I mean, it wasn't fair in high school with him just going up and, <laughs> and he'd score like six, seven touchdowns a game. It was like this guy's – ridiculous so yeah there's so many guys i could point to but th those guys really stood i remember charles rogers out of saginaw high school um oh, yeah. who ended up uh, didn't have a great career but uh michigan state uh some really great players first round pick oh yeah absolutely hey coach you know this is a big week for you guys you've got a big game coming up so uh, we know your yeah. time is precious we can't thank you enough for taking some time for us today and best of luck this weekend daniel bucky thanks for having me on appreciate it good luck coach well, Buck, it's, it's great to catch up with these coaches and feel like you learned something, absolutely. And it's also good to have a little laugh there. <laughs> the, uh, that Jason Kelsey story is a beauty, one of the best we've heard on here. Absolutely one of the best that we've heard. But uh, I think it speaks to a little bit of what Coach talked about and what he desired in offensive linemen, guys that have a little bit of an edge, guys that were finishers, guys, guys that had that nasty temperament outside of being athletic, uh, high IQ, uh, tough, and those things. So... Uh, Jason Kelsey certainly fits that mold. He is a bit of a character, but he does have outstanding football character, which is probably more important. 
Yeah, no, and I thought the the conversation we had just talking about focus and uh, his point, you know, being, hey, look, it's okay if you have a break in focus, but it's important for these athletes they can refocus. So if you have a little blip, a little slip up, um, and that's really kind of on the field, you have a bad play, being able to then refocus and not get caught up and, and really let that lull continue, I thought the ability to refocus was an interesting point. Yeah, I think it's a great point, and I think it's one of those things that that is probably a more doable deal. To set the expectation where you expect guys to be completely locked in 20, 30, 40 minutes, that's an impossible ask in my estimation. I think you have to train them to, okay, I've lost my focus. How can I get back on task? I think that is something that has to be worked on, and he alluded to mental performance coach. I think that is one of the reasons why we're seeing more of these top programs bringing guys who can help – their players understand how to prepare for games, how to visualize, how to kind of set their mindset and get the focus that they need to perform at a high level. Um, as the game becomes increasingly competitive in terms of the talent being the same, the talent being comparable, you have to be able to separate yourself with your mental. And Brian Kelly is speaking to that when he talks about focus and really providing the tools for his players to refocus on a consistent basis. How do you do it at the high school level, Buck? <laughs> you hope that they have it every day. Um, I think some of it is... What do you ask of them? I, I think you have to demand it. I think you have to demand it and do it over and over and over again. I think you have to set the standard where they understand and you don't relent off that standard. So if you're doing a walkthrough and it's not up to the par, you start it over and you make them repeat it. Uh, you constantly tell them and provide a running dialogue for, hey, here's where we're at, here's where we need to get better. If we want to be the championship team that everyone talks about being here's what we need to do and you you don't really relent off that standard and I think that speaks to what coach um, had talked about being demanding not demeaning being demanding in terms of setting the standard making sure that players understand what the standard is and they're performing up to the standard that is what coaching is coaching is demanding and being hard on your players and being tough on them because there are things that you see in your players that they can't see in themselves and so When Brian talks about the development of his offensive line, I think because they've been so demanding of those guys, they've been able to kind of raise up to the standard and meet the standard, which is why those guys have also gone on to play the National Football League. No doubt. Um, All right, Buck, what's your take on this whole Urban Meyer thing? Man, you know, DJ, I'm I'm fascinated by it, right? Because we talked about – we would like to have guys that come into the league who have a proven track record of turnarounds. Last week, you and I privately talked about Matt Rule and how, look, man, if you're in an NFL team and you're looking to the college ranks, I mean, I think Matt Rule has to be one of the top guys on your list because not only has he done it at Baylor, but he's used the same formula and done it at Temple. So at Temple and Baylor, we have mm-hmm. two examples of him having a plan, him executing the plan, and the plan being prosperous now if you think about giving him the opportunity to come to the national football league if he implements the plan which features toughness and all those other things i mean we know that he is being able to do it and so with urban meyer i mean urban meyer may be one of the godfathers of the turnaround we saw urban meyer go to bowling green have immediate success he then went to utah had immediate success goes from utah to florida big success. success goes from florida to ohio state success So why would I think that if Urban Meyer is my coach, we're not going to have success because the resume proves that he is a successful coach. The thing that he would have to do, and I wonder about this, does he have enough CEO 
in his game to allow others to kind of lead while he is managing the whole entire operation. He has done that, in my estimation, at Ohio State. He empowered his coordinators on offense and defense to do things while he handled the special teams. What would be his approach in the pros? I do believe the Dallas Cowboys would be a great fit because the one thing that we know about Coach Meyer, he understands how to coach talent. If you give him a very talented team, he understands how to push them over the top. Some coaches can't coach very talented teams. They can't get a loaded roster to the promised land. I think Urban Meyer understands how to do that. He's done it repeatedly. I think he'd be a terrific NFL coach. It doesn't matter, does he want to do it? And would the Cowboys be willing to move on from Jason Garrett to give him that opportunity to get it done? He actually got a lot of criticism for this comment because Jason Garrett is uh, the coach of a first-place team at this point in time. Um, and I believe he's kind of walked it back a little bit about his own interest there, that he doesn't have interest in that. He kind of yeah, walked that all yeah, back. But yeah, it did leave yeah. us definitely with the thought. <laughs> he definitely planted that thought. I mean, uh, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens if the Cowboys were to fall apart. We'll see. I mean, can you, can you, I mean, you can plant the flag a many different places. I mean, he put that one in the middle of the star. Uh, he knew that that comment would get a lot of attention. I think, look, deep down the side, he, he would have a desire to maybe coach at the NFL. I mean, coaches are coaches, and if you've had an opportunity to watch him on Saturdays, he is terrific at what he does broadcasting, but it's hard for me to imagine that guy staying in the TV booth when he has so much to offer on the field. I just think it will be hard for him to continue to sit on the sidelines when he knows he has a proven recipe that bakes a really, really tasty cake. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, Urban Meyer is only 55 years old. So you think about as long right. as he's been coaching all the national championships, he's still young in coaching years. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what he decides to do in the off season. A bunch of big college games this weekend, Buck. Uh, Auburn, um, LSU this week. We've got uh, Notre Dame, who we just talked to Coach Kelly. Notre Dame, Michigan. Uh, there's a, a good bunch one. of really, really good football games. It's a good schedule. Um, what else did we have? We had another c- couple good ones. I was Wisconsin plays Ohio Are State. They? Oh, yeah, Wisconsin, Ohio State's a good one. Obviously, you can't forget about App State, South Alabama. That's going to be a fun one. Uh, uh, USA? No, but the, uh, no it's, it's, it's a good slate. But I want to know if you've – I've watched a couple guys lately, and so I'll just throw out a couple names, and mm-hmm. if there's anybody else that kind of interests you, uh, let me know. But I'll tell you what, Ohio State, you got to break it up. You can't watch all their guys at once because they've got so many NFL guys. DJ, would so that I be – I try a, and just grab a little pack of them. Would that be a two-day or a three-day visit? It's a, it's a it's a two dayer. I think you can get it done in two. It ain't a one day. I can promise you that. You're gonna park. You think it you can get it done? Days. You can get it done in one two. One day you do the offense. Next day you do the defense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think you can do it in two days. But okay. it's so, yeah. Might need to stay over for a game. So maybe it's yeah. two visits at the school and then, and then watch the game. <laughs> and then a game. So, so it's, it's a, a Thursday. It's a Thursday, Friday, Friday Saturday. Yeah. yeah. Um, the general rule yeah. is for me seven it's, players. It's loaded. Seven players. If if I get more than seven players, I require another day. And so at Ohio State, I, yeah. I, I think I would be there for I think I had to pitch a tip. There's more than seven. The three that I watch, look, I've already done Okuda, who's a, a big-time, big-time premier corner mm-hmm. uh, prospect. I've done Chase Young. He's in the books. He was easy. Um, so the three guys I looked at this time, I looked at a couple more guys in their secondary. Uh, Damon Arnett, the corner, yeah. who uh, is really, really, he's a you know pretty twitched up, aggressive, explosive, um, a little bit tight. Uh, but can find the ball. He's, he's a good player. I mean, I, I gave him a, a grade that puts him kind of in that mm-hmm. set early second-round range. Uh, Sean Wade, who plays the nickel for them, is silky smooth. I, I don't know how twitched up, explosive, fast he's going to be. Um, look more kind of like a, a mid-4-5 guy when you watch him, just yep. that way, but fluid, 
very instinctive, tough, works through blocks in the run game. Um, he's a good blitzer. I think he's going to be a, a good nickel. I mean, he's a 6'1", 190 pounds, so he's a good-sized kid. Um, and he's a uh, he's another one I think probably you're talking about second, third-round type player. And then uh, Devon Hamilton had got some buzz, their defensive tackle. So I watched him. thought he's a little bit more of a down-the-line guy, more of a line of scrimmage player, uh, strong, hold the point of attack, but just not a lot of not a lot of juice as a, as a rusher there. But that's just three more guys in Ohio State, Buck. It's just you got to kind of take them up in chunks. There's so many of these guys. Take them up in chunks. But look, while, you, while you're there and you're making your visit, uh, keep your eyes on number one, the quarterback, because the quarterback is really playing oh, really yeah. well for them. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, he's athletic. He's kind of freakish with some of the stuff that he can do. And I think what is very impressive about what Ryan Day has done, Ryan Day really hasn't run him like he was being used and utilize it at, at Georgia in terms of as a runner. He makes his plays kind of as an improvisational playmaker, but from the pocket, he's been terrific. I would like to go on the other side in this game, and I think this game is going to be kind of the measuring stick game for Jonathan Taylor, the running back. Jonathan Taylor, to me, is a really good player. I still don't know what he is as a prospect, and I think for me what happens is my mind is still clouded because Every running back that plays at Wisconsin gains a ton of yards. I mean, we've seen guys like John Clay gain yards. We've seen some of these nondescript players in the National Football League have production at Wisconsin. And part of that is driven by the fact that they always appear to have a dominant offensive line. Um, Even though they run a pro-style system, some of the production is systematic in the way that it's derived. And so what I want to see in a game against a loaded NFL caliber defense, what does Jonathan Taylor give me that is beyond the ordinary? Can he give me more than just a three- or four-yard gain? Can I see him pop some runs? Can I see him display some creativity where, look, there's nothing there, but he finds a way to get five yards? Those are the things that will lead me to believe that he could be a dominant player at the next level. But if he is only giving me what is blocked, then I know that, look, I need to go easy on him and not give him credit where credit isn't due because the offensive line at Wisconsin is always dominant in the Big Ten. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch him. And also, I would say another running back in the game, J.K. Dobbins there at Ohio State, um, who I was talking with somebody in the league the mm-hmm. other day that felt he was going to end up being one of the top three or four running backs in this year's class. So um, I've got to do him. Again, there's always more Ohio State guys to watch. If you do want to get a little, a little feel, though, for what the best defensive player in the country looks like, um, I think I tweeted out. I think it was tweeted. It wasn't Instagram. Tweeted out a little video of Chase Young uh, against Northwestern. You can see what that looks like. Uh, yeah, he's... Uh, He's easy. You know, he's, he's pretty easy to scout. Very, book. very, not, very not difficult. I mean, very, very easy. Very easy. Very easy to scout. All right. We, we got to get to some uh, we got to get some questions here. We we've encouraged people. If you want us to answer some questions, go to Apple Podcasts. Uh, leave us a little rating there. We appreciate the five stars. Trust me, we do. Um, and then uh, throw a comment in there. L- drop a question in there on Apple Podcasts and uh, we'll do our best to answer it each and every Thursday. So, Nabil, you've got some more questions for us. Fire away. First one, can you guys expand upon the necessity to match a QB's playing style with the nature of the play caller? A great aggressive play caller can only get so much out of a conservative QB and vice versa. Oh, Buck, can I take this one? Yeah, you got it. I'm curious to see what the Oakland Raiders do next year for this very reason. Because I get the sense that John Gruden would like to be a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more vertical with his passing game. And right now, Derek Carr, while very efficient, everything is is underneath an intermediate, and he's not 
you know, one that likes to take a lot of shots down the field. So that is going to be a great test um, between what is the core philosophy and belief of the play caller uh, versus what the skill set and uh, style of play is of the quarterback. And, you know, if you if you're looking at different quarterbacks that could fit different guys. Let's say, look, and maybe Derek Carr, they, they you know, win enough games and they feel good about it and they move forward and that's their guy. But I would love to see this marriage of player and uh, and coach. You ready for this, Buck? Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to figure out who, who you possibly could be Can you think thinking about. No, no. How about a, recla- well, a semi-reclamation project? He's playing a little bit better this year. What if Jameis Winston was paired up with John Gruden? Um, I would like to see that. I would like to see how that would work. I would be very curious because John Gruden, I believe, at his core wants to run the ball and be aggressive down the field. And Jameis Winston, you ain't going to have to teach him to be aggressive. You're going to have to rein him in a little bit because that's the way he wants to play the game. So um, if for some reason, Mm. who knows, maybe Derek Carr is still that guy for the Raiders and maybe Jameis Winston continues to blossom under Bruce Arians and that's their guy going forward in Tampa. But I would just be curious to see that marriage between Winston and Gruden. Well, I mean, I think it's certainly like when you think stylistically um, how Gruden wants to play, it matches up. They want to run the ball downhill. They want to take shots down the field. In Oakland, you have to remember that the history of the Oakland Raiders is all about the bomb. It's all about the deep shot, not about check downs and these little things. It's about we're going to throw it over the head of the defense. We don't care what coverage you're in. That's what we do. Uh, Jameis Winston and John Gruden, I think the relationship would be one of the more roller coaster relationships that we've witnessed because I think John Gruden <laughs> would love him on his highs and would absolutely despise him on his lows because he's going to turn the ball over. But I wouldn't mind saying it. I think coaching matters. Scheme, location, all that stuff matters more than we ever can imagine. Uh, it'd be an interesting, interesting situation to kind of see play out. All right. Give us another question here, Neil. What do we got? All right. Love the hits and misses segments. Have the misses changed your evaluation process criteria? And what have you learned from each and taken forward? There's some talk of how your notes did identify some issues, but what made you discount those? And how do you rebalance your criteria in the future? Well, I'll tell you what. Sometimes you can be stubborn, um, and other times you you're, you figure things out. And I can give you, you know, there's a lot of examples of both, Buck. There's been yep. rules that I've set in place after seeing a player I've missed on, and I've said, I'm not going to do that again. And then sure enough, you get lulled and you get fooled and you get tricked and you find yourself making the same mistake. But absolutely, um, you need to go back and self-evaluate. I always encourage anybody, if you're if you're working in college recruiting, um, don't just look at the at the guys you brought in. Go back and look at players that went elsewhere and figure out, OK, I was I was too high on this guy. or I was too low on that guy. And you better figure out the reasons why. That's how you grow. There's no magical there's no magical mentor that's over your shoulder that's going to tell you, oh, you, you need to m- learn from this mistake or you did this right and that. No, no, no. You've got to do it yourself. Um, so I think I've always felt the self scout is very important. And that's why we have, you know, we have some fun on the hits and misses thing. And I hope that um, you try and explain what some of the warning signs were there and, and what was missed and, and how you correct it. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's tough because when I, when I go back and I look at all of these things, and I think it's important that you can consistently do this, you try to figure out, like, where, where did I mess up? Where, what did I miss? Is this something where I missed completely on the player? Did the player drastically change and improve? Is this something where I couldn't project how a guy would play in a certain system? Um, is it where I just, look, I, I just held too tight to what my initial reaction was? 
and I should have relented on the grade. Um, and I'll use the, was it the 2017, what quarterback class? Deshaun Watson and Mitch Jabrisky and all those guys are in. 2017, uh, I believe, yeah. Yeah, so the 2017 class, I can say, look, I, I had a couple misses. Um, one of my misses, I like Deshaun Watson, and I knew Deshaun Watson was a great player based on everything that I knew about him watching tape, but also knowing him. And I put him first, but I didn't do it with the kind of conviction that I probably should have done it with. I held on too long to Deshaun Kaiser. Deshaun Kaiser uh, fascinated me with his size, his arm talent. And then when Mm -hmm. he talked, I was like, man, this guy's smart. He gets it or whatever. But the warning signs were there because what did Brian Kelly say? What did other coaches say? Like people talked about that. Sometimes where there's smoke, there's fire. And I probably should have heeded those warnings a little bit. And then when it comes to the Pat Mahomes thing, because I think the Pat Mahomes evaluation is fascinating. Uh, on the outside, in the media type, we had a lot of people that were claiming him and said, hey, hey man, we knew he was going to be this or whatever. But I couldn't get anybody to a man. You know how you call your buddies just for a different oh, set yeah, of that's eyes. My guy. Yeah. A little validation, a little yep. confer- confirmation. I couldn't get anyone to say, hey, he's going to be a stud in the league. What I got a lot of was, man, he's really talented. But, wow, he's raw. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you can corral that and get it going. And so because of that, I never fully jumped in on the Pat Mahomes experience. Now, if I had known that he was going to be paired with Andy Reid and some of the things where the game is involved, (laughs) who knows? But I feel like I could have gone a little hard with Pat Mahomes. And then the Mitchell Trubisky thing, which is interesting because they have to have this conversation soon with the Chicago Bears. I knew it. I knew it in my gut that he wasn't a guy. I knew in the same conference in the ACC, Mitchell Trubisky, Deshaun Watson, if you polled all the coaches who was the most feared quarterback, they always say Deshaun Watson. So it made sense to me that Deshaun Watson should be the top one, whereas Mitchell Trubisky, to me, kind of caught the wave because he was different than what was offered. And people thought in those 13 games, I think sometimes we oversell it. We've seen this with underclassmen. Sometimes we oversell the potential rather than look at what the production really was when he had the opportunity to play. I'll tell you what's interesting to me, because, I've, look, I've told everybody that has ears to, to listen that, uh, you know, Pat Mahomes a huge miss on my part in that draft. And, and like you, I had Deshaun Watson as my top quarterback, but should have had him much higher than I had him rated um, that year. But to me, the Mahomes lesson and what I've taken from that and, and hopefully can use it with these evaluations at that position going forward, when – you need to, to really reserve ultimate judgment in terms of where you slide somebody on your list until you meet with them at that position. It's so important. It's so important to get a feel for these guys, to talk with them. Mm-hmm. And what we knew about Mahomes, you talked about the incredible talent. We knew he was incredibly raw. Um, what I did not know until we met with him, which I believe was maybe it was late. before the draft. Box, it was late. Last was late. minute. And he came in the studio, and we we quizzed him, and his recall was outstanding. He was engaging. Um you could tell this guy is intelligent, man. This is a not. I mean, I'm just talking like book smart. I'm talking football smart. Got it. Understood. Uh, this it. guy gets it. So, so now I've got all these tools, and then now I've got somebody that's football intelligent and has you know work ethic based off of you know talking to him and talking to more people. So it was like, okay, that was the kind of the missing piece. Once we got that, and it was too late in the process for us to uh, to really vault him all the way up there at that point in time when you haven't been talking about the guy the whole draft process. So that was a lesson to me. You got to meet these guys, and you got to meet with them, and hopefully sooner rather than later. And that's why it's been great for us 
at the uh, at the all-star games at the combine to really really uh take the time to get to know these kids and get a chance to do it some pro days as well yeah dj it's funny you you talk about that because the pat mahomes thing when he came in i remember he sat in these seats and we were talking to him and he was uh being able to recall plays on the spot but it wasn't just the recall or the football iq i think the thing that stood out to me in that interview and we talk about reading body language it was the eagerness yeah. and the desire yeah, to want to learn learn more about the position to want to be great that came out and i just think that if i'd been around him earlier i'd have been a little more willing to bet on the kid as opposed to the prospect like look man this kid wants it i know him i feel him i feel his um energy when you talk about certain things with the quarterback position his enthusiasm he had all of those things and i just didn't give him his proper due when it came to that still i had him in i think i had him borderline first round i should have been a little more convicted and put him firmly and squarely oh, in the first round him, because yeah, you, he was, he was there i did yeah yeah, I thought it was high risk, high reward, but uh, man, it has been definitely on the reward side of things, no doubt. Uh, all right, Nabil, give us one more. What do we got? Are there any late round players that have overplayed their draft spot or surprised you? Uh, sure. I'll, I'll give you two names here. Um, one, the obvious one, Gardner Minshew, you know, from where he was in this quarterback group. He obviously got yeah. the opportunity there with Jacksonville. Hasn't been all roses, but he's been, you know, much better than, you know, what I thought we would see early on in his career. And then I'll, I'll give you Max Crosby with the Raiders. You know, take Cleveland Farrell with the fourth overall pick, Max Crosby a little bit later on in the draft. Max Crosby's been a better player. I know Farrell's been a little bit nicked up, but Crosby's had an impact for a team that desperately uh, needs an edge rusher. So you like, I liked his length and uh, his athleticism. I think I had him in the, you know, I gave him a, about a fourth round grade or so, and he's played he's played better than that. No, it's funny. So so my guy, I would go to the running back class, and I would go to Philip Lindsay uh, with the Denver Broncos because I never thought that Philip Lindsay would be able to be a workhorse running back, let alone a Pro Bowl caliber workhorse running back. But that's what he was able to do as a rookie. And I think the lesson to be learned there, um, he had certain traits that um, you just can't find. He was fast. And anytime you have a running back who has speed, there's always an opportunity for him to maybe make his way in the league. And then the other thing where I didn't see, I never saw him necessarily cut. So people talked about him being hurt, but he really didn't kind of overcome that until later in terms of just like the, the, the physicality and toughness. I just wondered would he be able to endure and withstand the punishment, but he's been able to do it. And so that's wrong by me that I didn't have him as a draftable player. Yeah. All right. You cheated on me. I thought we, I, I guess you're right. I, I was assuming we had to do it for this year's draft. You know, oh, I don't know. Year. But, I don't you know, know. Look, I just, that's, that's I all think I can I, remember. I think they, all, they all kind of blend. Anyways. They all kind of, yeah. kind of blend they do, together. They do start to blend once, together. Once, <laughs> once, once draft day hits, they all kind of just, they're, they're like a jamba juice. They're just kind of all a blended, you know, I can't no, tell. Yeah. Nah, you're right. You're right. Um, I right, Buck, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be vulnerable here for a second because we have that type of a relationship. Mm. I'm getting, uh, getting my my teeth whitened tomorrow and uh i'm a little bit nervous about this think about you want to talk about bad but it's i'm drinking too much coffee they're getting too yellow so i'm getting the i'm getting them whitened a little bit but they said this is bad planning because they said you can't have any like uh marinara sauce or any type of you you can't have coffee or anything like that for like two or three days or else i guess it'll really Mm. stain your teeth buck i fly to chicago on saturday I didn't even put that together. Like I'm going to like the home of the best mm. pizza on the planet, and I literally can't have any. 
Oh, that's all-time fail on my part. That's okay. Fail. That discipline that you learned at Appalachian State will really come in. I think you should just go to the hotel room. You can have a hot dog. When I'm eating plain white rice. Yeah, get, get, get your hot dog. <laughs> get your Chicago dog. Be careful with the ketchup. Can't have, Be careful with the ketchup, can't though. Have ketchup or mustard. Yeah. You can't do ketchup or mustard. I'm going to yellow or red teeth. Well, this would be the opportunity for you to I argue called, with I, Dave, Dave Damachek and see if a hot dog is a sandwich or not because that's one of his big contentions. Okay. Oh, there you go. I called my our uh, my buddy Chris Mortensen. I called him the other day, and I was real serious in tone. I go, "Hey, Mort, I need you to uh, I need to pray for me, man. I've got a, a procedure coming up on Friday." And he's like, "What? What's going on? Everything okay? What's the deal?" I go, "Mort, I'm going to have my teeth whitened, man. So I just really <laughs> need you to pray. Can you be a little sensitive. They they say that your teeth can get real sensitive when you do this. He he's he's like, you're such an idiot. <laughs> so I'm going to end up looking like Ross Geller from Friends. That's all right. Uh, it's it's going to be nice. It's going to be it's going to be nice. You you you're going to love it. Some pearly whites there, Buck. Uh, I mean. All right, uh, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, I appreciate you guys checking us out. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with Brian Kelly. Thanks to him uh, for taking the time for us during a very busy week. Uh, you can find all our videos, NFL.com slash MTS video or the new YouTube channel, uh, YouTube.com slash NFL podcast. That's going to do it for us today. Do want to say a special thank you to Nabil doing a great job there behind the glass and for, uh, for David Singer doing a wonderful job getting us these guests each and every week. Uh, we'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to NFL.com slash podcasts. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain unlimited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you've got to get your feet wet, your eyes open, and your mind out there, way out there. Turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals, and get ready to look far and think further. 
UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling.